To have passion in life is everything. What's your Everest? Oh, is it yeah. that 200 inch box? They just look so impressive when they're wide. Especially running away. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Eastman's Elevated. It's like a think tank for outdoor activity. Sounds exactly like my hunting. Just always thinking about it, always trying to evolve it and make it better. Here's your host, Brian Barney. Hey, what's happening, guys? Happy New Year, 2023. So the it all starts over, um, time for a brand new season. You know, unless you guys are wrapping up down in um, down in the south, down in Arizona, still have some open seasons down there. I wish I was down there right now uh, instead of working. But um, uh, next year, definitely, we'll be down there and make some time. But wrapping up this house, I'm getting so close. Gosh, about a week away or so, and uh, have my family moved in there. So really looking forward to that. But I have a podcast for you guys for today. So today I have on Mitchell Rowland. So uh, I met Mitchell. He lives here in Montana and saw great success in 2022. So uh, he's a working class guy. He's got limited time to be able to do these hunts, but spends his time being proficient with his weapon, uh, working out, scouting and researching and uh, had some great success in 2022. And so we dive into it on the podcast. Uh, really enjoyed the conversation. I think you guys will too. I want to thank my sponsors for today's show. So we have a new sponsor for Eastman's Elevated. It's Mountain Tough Fitness. I uh, really like what these guys are doing, preparing guys for the mountain. And um, they have such great workouts here. So they have um, uh, all different types of workouts that you can train for. You know, train for a heavy pack, preseason prep, postseason strength, kettlebell, body weight, elite. They have an app that you can use on your phone and this app will give you full workouts with limited amount of uh of equipment as well you know you can do these workouts at your house with minimal equipment uh, or they have some gym workouts as well uh these guys that that put this together are former navy seals former army rangers it's just a a great program and i'm going to try it as well uh, so I'm going to get on and get access to it here. And like I say, I'm in this house in a few days and, um, start doing a few workouts and, uh, you guys can do them with me and we'll check it out. But, um, yeah, I know the guys that have tried it out that I've talked to really like it. Uh, it's just, um, it's real usable strength and, and it, it, it transfers to the mountains seamlessly. And so, uh, really excited to give these guys a try and really excited to have them on the podcast. So, uh, if you guys are looking to step up your fitness level for this next season, make sure to check them out at Mountain Tough. And uh, you'll be hearing more the next couple months. I want to get the founder on the podcast and talk to him. And um, so you'll be hearing more about him here in the near future. But uh, yeah, if you're in the market uh, for uh, stepping up your game in 2023, make sure to check these guys out at Mountain Tough Fitness. I also want to thank Everly Stock. been using Everly Stock now. Uh, for a bunch of years, really. Um, gosh, they have a different pack that fits all my different needs. And so, uh, like for day hunting, I really like the kite pack. Uh, sits really tight to my back. I can hunt with it on. Uh, it'll also pack weight well. If I kill a deer, kill an elk, it'll pack a quarter out, no problem. And so that kite pack, it comes in at a low weight. Uh, so I end up using it for a day pack. I'll also use it for an overnight pack because it's so light, packs the weight well. Um, I'll also use their, their little big top. I'll use that for shorter trips. I use their destroyer pack for longer expedition trips. Uh, and then they do have, 
the Vapor series, which is a series of packs that are minimalist packs that'll fit on their mainframe. So they have a 2,500, 5,000, and 7,500 cubic inch pack, and then it hooks to that mainframe, comes in at a low weight, packs the weight really well, and uh, packs out meat really well as well. So uh, Everly Stock, they just make good packs that pack the weight well. They're really durable, and um, they're doing great work. So if you're in the market for a new pack, make sure to go check those guys out. I also want to thank Black Ovis. Black Ovis is an internet retail store that has everything you need for your next hunt. So uh, if you're in the market, they carry all the top name brands. They also have their own name brand as well uh, that, that's really high quality, you know, as far as sleeping bags or as far as, uh, uh, like I, I, I've said it before, but my buddy uh, Dylan has their puffy pants, really likes them. So they have a great name brand. Those guys are all hunters, so they're constantly trying to get in the best gear they can uh, to be able to offer it for you guys for your hunt. So uh, if you're in the market for anything new, if you got some hunts coming up or, you know, like I like to take each year and prioritize my upgrades. And so I look through my gear and I come up with a couple items that would really help my, my gear list either help with weight or uh, would help with function or just a good piece of gear that I can add to my kit. So every year I look at a couple pieces of gear that I try to upgrade. Uh, well, if you're looking to upgrade any of your gear, make sure to go check them out at Black Ovis. I also want to thank Camo Fire. Camo Fire is an app you get on your phone where you get superior deals on quality hunting gear. And so they have 80 new deals that come up every 24 hours. And if you watch the app, you can save 50%, 75% on some of these items. So uh, if you're interested in picking up some gear at a huge discount, make sure to check them out at Camo Fire. Over at Eastman's... Um, yeah, we're, we're cruising here um, into the new year. Uh, looking forward to doing the expo. I actually thought it was in January. I think I looked up the ATA dates by accident. So uh, I have a little bit more time, but it is in uh, February down there at the expo. So looking forward to that and getting together with the Eastman's crew. Uh, recording some podcasts down there, so I got some good ones coming up. Um, uh, Cole Kramer is going to come back on the podcast. I just saw an email confirming that down at the expo, so we'll do a live recording with him. I think we're going to have a recording booth down there, so there won't be as much recording or like as much background noise, so it should be quality recording, so I'm looking forward to that. And uh, we're going to knock out some good ones down there. So um, if you're down at the expo, make sure you stop in and say hi. We'll have a booth down there. We'll be uh, with the Cryptech guys um, we'll have an Eastman's booth down there. And so, uh, yeah, stop in and say hi. Let's have a chat. And, um, so yeah, we have that coming up. Uh, definitely have the mule deer school putting a ton of work into that thing. So, uh, we're going to be adding new videos to that. Uh, really proud how it came out. Like I say, it's everything I know about hunting mule deer the last 25 years traveling the West in all different habitats. And um, I didn't hold back any information. I tried to put it all in there along with Dan Picard and Guy Eastman. And um, Guy Eastman is just so knowledgeable about the West and so uh, so consistently successful over the years producing these uh, huge trophies. And um, so it's good to get his insight on the course as well. So you can check that out at the Mule Deer course. Also check out our Tag Hub. Um, uh, with Tag Hub is um, our internet research tool. Uh, we have a bunch of giveaways going away. In fact, we have a giveaway on the podcast. 
So we're giving away a bunch of gear, and it's through... Um, really there's not too many stipulations to it or too many things you need to do. Just follow our page on Instagram, Eastman's Elevated, and you can follow the link in the bio there. You can enter to win. We're giving away so much great gear. We're giving away a new bow. We're giving away, I don't have the list here in front of me, but, but tons and tons of giveaways there. And so you can find that just follow the Eastman's Elevated Instagram page, uh, another requirement is to listen to a podcast. You guys are already doing that one, so check that box. And uh, yeah, enter to win. I think you got to just give your email or something like that, and then um, yeah, you're entered to win. And uh, yeah, there's going to be some great gears, great giveaway, and I'm really happy. Like it's it's really nice when Eastman's puts their weight behind the podcast like this and gives me a bunch of stuff to give away to you guys, the listeners. Uh, so this is my way of giving back. So um, really excited to do this giveaway. Uh, I'll I'll clue you guys in on on more of the stuff that we're giving away here in future episodes. But yeah, if you just go follow that Instagram page and enter yourself in, you're entered for all those items as well. And with that, let's get into this podcast. So um, Mitchell Rowland, uh, limited time, great season in 2022. Guys putting in the work to be consistently successful. Had a great conversation. Uh, I'm your host, Brian Barney, Eastman's Elevated. Here we go. Well, dude, good. Um, looked like you had an amazing season this year. Good for you. Oh, it was incredible. It's uh, it was a little different than most seasons. I've uh, this was I had the the least amount of time to hunt out of every season that I've ever had. Um but I was the most successful. Um, so that was a little interesting, you know, with moving out here, it's, we got a three-year-old son. Um, and then I got into plumbing and my wife got back into, uh, uh, being a hairstylist. So, you know, we're, we're juggling new careers and childcare, you know, we, we don't have grandma and grandpa to call to pick them up if we're late. So, you know, I ended up losing a lot of hunting days, um, just being a father, um, you know, help being a family man, helping out with all that. Um, so the days I did make it out, I had to really make it count, um, which it was awesome. It was a new challenge. Um, and I think I did really good at it. You know, my e-scouting was so crucial. I mean, every place that I hunted this year was all new spots. Uh, the only place I ever had boots on the ground, um, was where I was elk hunting. And I got up there a little bit in August um, to do some scouting and I planned on archery hunting up there, but, um, with my wife's new career, she was just so busy taking on these weddings on the weekends. And I just kind of volunteered to give up my archery season, which <laughs> that hurt, man, <laughs> that was a tough blow. Um, but you know, you got to do what you got to do and, um, got out there and, you know, made it count when I could, yeah, but good for uh, you. it is, um, it's so tough, like the balance for, for all of us, you know, and as, you know, as I get further down the line, I tend to get more and more time for hunting season, you know, it's like, and it's a priority in my life and I've structured my life that way. But, um, for so many years, uh, just a weekend warrior, or it seems like, you know, even this season, just so busy that it's, um, really tough to carve out that time. And it is, 
you know, there's so many uh, facets to life as far as, you know, like you have such a responsibility to provide for your family and take care of your family, especially with a young one like what you got and your wife is building a career as well. And so, you know, you guys are trying to build this good life together. But what that means is that, you know, something has to give. There has to be some sacrifice somewhere. And, um, you know, it seems like uh, uh, even though hunting's your passion, it's like a guy's got to make a living and provide. And, you know, you, you made this big move to Montana. And, you know, a lot of that, I'm sure, is centered around um, uh, work and opportunity there. But it's also centered around what you love to do is like spending time in the mountains and hunting. And so uh, trying to make good on a short amount of time is not easy. Uh, but there are some like tricks that you can do and uh, things that you can do to squeeze more time out or when you do get the time is to be as absolute efficient as you can. So uh, e-scouting worked out good this year. You spent a bunch of time e-scouting, looking on, at computer at um, uh, different locations and places that you wanted to hunt. Yeah, so uh, we'll start off with my antelope hunt. You know, it's uh, it was an eastern Montana tag. Um, and I've only drove through there, you know, a handful of times in my life and it was never for scouting purposes. It was just, you know, passing through to get to the next place. Um, so I drew this tag and, you know, I e-scouted and I picked out, you know, luckily I had about 30 or 40 different pins on the map <laughs> for access and whatnot. And, you know, my wife, she, uh, she got off work that night at like eight o'clock and, you know, here's a six hour drive ahead of us. So I left that night and got out there at you know midnight or whatever it was it was super late you know the first four spots i went to had campers and trucks in them so i'm showing up to you know my my fifth or sixth spot whatever it was in the dark you know and hunting lights in a couple hours and you know the first spot i went or the spot i ended up hunting that morning you know wake up and i did a five mile loop and i never saw an antelope it's like all right. So that spot, you know, check that off the list and, uh, you know, hopped in the truck and just started covering ground and, you know, going to spot seven, eight, nine, ten, And finally, you know, the 10th or 11th spot, I glass up some antelope and they were in a killable position. So I started sneaking in on them. I, I glassed them up. They were about a thousand yards away. Glassed them up and there was some, you know, little hills in between us. So I started sneaking in. And I get about 200 yards from them with a little rise in between us going up the hill and uh, about 100 birds. I'm not sure exactly what they were, if they were huns or chuckers or something, uh, but they they flushed, man, and they took those antelope with them. <laughs> and they ran to the other end of the state land um, and stopped just barely on, you know, they were almost on private. So I stopped and regrouped looked down, glassed them, found another route to approach them from, went after them again and get over there, coming over the rise. And I got, you know, 20 antelopes staring at me at 80 yards and they bust out of there. And then they run clear to the other side of the state land, which was like two, three miles in the other direction. And by this time it's getting, you know, real hot and nasty and I'm tired. I've already hiked about 10 miles this morning so I start shedding layers and grab some water, slam a bar, take off after him again. And this time got within about 800 yards of him. And I, I can't remember if I heard you or someone else talking about this, but saying, you know, once antelope start heading in a direction, they usually don't veer off left or right too much. They're, they're just kind of, they, you know, pick a, uh, pick a direction and start walking. 
And they ended up started coming back towards my direction down this little draw. So I just laid down, got ready, and you know it was they they walked right in. It was about 400 yards. Picked the biggest of the two bucks, and you know made an excellent shot. Dropped him right there. And that was basically the end of that hunt right there. Got over and got them all processed out. They do smell like Fritos. Um, <laughs> but got them all processed out, got them back to the truck. Um, and it was, I would say, about 1 or 2 o'clock by then. Um, and then, you know, time was of the essence. I had to get back as soon as I possibly could so my wife could get back to work. Um, you know, she was kind of waiting on me see if I tagged out and could get back and she could get back to work and fill in a couple appointments that weekend. Um, and I also, I picked up a B tag. So it was a uh, priority time to go fill that doe tag that evening. And sure enough, I did about 30 minutes right before last light, filled my doe tag, processed that thing up, slept in the back of the truck in the prairie. And I was home the next day by about one o'clock. And it was just, you know, full throttle the whole time and until it was done. It was, it, it went by too quick. You know, two animals and, you know, less than a full day of hunting. It was, it was a great experience, but I, you know, it, I, I wish I had the tag in my pocket longer. Cause that was my first time hunting antelope. And, you know, before the season, me and my boy would go out and, you know, just glass up antelope to look at them. Just, you know, they're so hard to score and judge and, you know, I really, I wanted to shoot the best one I could find, obviously. Um, so we spent a lot of, I, I spent more time scouting with my son in the truck, driving around looking at antelope than I did hunting them, which it was good. It was a fun time. Yeah, it's um, when time is of the essence like that, you have to make the make the most of the time you do have out there. But it, it is nice when you can um, uh, take your time and soak in the full experience, like uh, the prairie and things. But, you know, it's like this year, you guys are so busy, you have to make good on your on your opportunities. And so, like, uh, uh, leaving, you know, after work Friday night or whatever it is, like after work and then drive till the middle of the night, like that was a, a big way how I could um, – squeeze in more time to hunt like I was such a weekend warrior and we're so fortunate in Montana as we get long seasons you know six weeks of bow season five weeks of rifle season and so you know a lot of times I'm a weekend warrior especially by the time it gets to November hunts I know I was this year you know even though I do get more time and definitely when I was starting out that was all I had was weekends you know I could maybe yeah. get a week off for a bow season like an elk hunt and then other than that I was a weekend warrior but you know, it's not always great hunting like right around you. And sure, you know, I have mule deer right around me uh, or I have antelope right around me, you know, but the mule deer hunting isn't great. Like the numbers are few and far in between and you can hunt a whole weekend or even a whole week and not see a muley buck. And so I was better off like traveling to these places that had better hunting. And so like in your case, you drew a tag that was, you know, five hours away from your home, six hours, seven hours away from your home. So you really didn't have an option to hunt close. Uh, but you had to drive throughout the night to get there, you know, and I would, um, I always thought about it as hunts like, um, antelope, you can kind of hunt throughout the day. Uh, midday is still good hunting cause you can glass them up, but it seems like most other critters, it's just a morning and night. And so, you know, I'd count a morning as one hunt or a night as one hunt. And, you know, if I drove, if I got off work Friday after work and I drove throughout the night and got there at 12, one, two in the morning and slept. 
all of a sudden I could pick up that Saturday morning hunt. And then I'd do the same thing. I'd have Saturday morning, Saturday night, Sunday morning. And then if I was willing to drive home after a hunt on Sunday night, you know, I could add a hunt there too. So, you know, by driving throughout the night, now my weekend consisted of four hunts instead of, you know, if I was to drive down there Saturday and then leave Sunday, you know, you only get a couple hunts in. It's hardly worth the gas and the expense and uh, everything to get out there. And so, yeah, it's like a big way of how I would add time when I was a weekend warrior. The other thing I would do is if I could just add like a, a Friday or a Monday off to the weekend. So instead of taking all my time, you know, in one week off, I could take you know, five days on the edge of weekends, and then I'd have five three-day weekends, which seemed to really help as well. But, yeah, you had to make good on limited amount of time. And I liked what you said also, like, about the e-scouting. Like, e-scouting is just to find likely spots. And so you spent a bunch of time e-scouting, but you didn't commit to one location thinking this is going to be the spot where I'm going to fill my antelope tag. Instead, like you said, you had 40 pins. And so you had all these different access points or these likely places that you'd find antelope at. And then, you know, the rifle season's... One of the biggest challenges is the hunting pressure, you know, the the orange armies that's out there. So sure, you get out there and before opening day, it's like the first few spots that you check that you wanted to go. There was campers and people there, you know, and so there was hunting pressure already there. And so you kept looking and, you know, the first place you stopped off, you did a big five mile loop and didn't find an antelope. And that's pretty standard for antelope hunting. It's like they're either there or they're not, you know, and so... Uh, kept looking until you found a good location where those antelope were at and then you know didn't give up after you bumped them like the other thing is is like you stayed persistent and um, you know it doesn't matter if it's with a rifle or with a bow like persistence just kills it's just like constant effort constantly putting yourself out there and yeah there's there's times where I get multiple stocks on one antelope or multiple stocks on one buck, and it's just like just trying to give yourself a chance, you know. It's just trying to get close enough, give yourself a chance, and then sure enough, those antelope walked into you. So, man, it's just like um, Western hunting to a T. You sure um, nailed your first hunt of the season, and that that antelope they do have a specific smell to them. I don't I don't really see it as Fritos, but it it is like a specific antelope smell, you know. But man, they sure Yeah, it was it was closer to Fritos than anything else I could gather. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Um, they sure eat good, don't they? A uh, buck and oh, a doe man. in the freezer. I mean, you don't get a ton of meat off each one. It's like surprising how little meat you get off a 80-pound animal or 100-pound animal, but the meat you get is so good. Yeah, you know, this was this, this was a year of first for me. It was my first uh, first antelope, first bull elk, and uh, first whitetail buck actually. Um, and my wife, she brought brought all that meat home, and you know, once I got the elk home, she was like, "Don't shoot any more deer." She's like, "I just want to eat antelope and elk." <laughs> it's, it's I'm like, tough. "Oh, that's not gonna happen." pretty tough to beat antelope and elk that's for sure oh, that's like a good so combination good. and elk are such a difference maker for like making it through the season you know i know um you know it's been quite a few years since i haven't filled an elk tag i, I think i filled like probably like 
18 of the last 20, I think, or 19 of the last 20. I mean, there, there's like a couple of years in there where I didn't. But it's a, an elk is equal to about three or four deer. So when I don't kill an elk, I've got to make sure that I get some extra doe tags and things. Uh, but that, that meat, it makes a huge difference for me making it through a year, through a season, eating all wild game. And so uh, an elk's a must, man. It's a, it's a freezer filler. Yeah, now that I'm here in Montana, there will uh... – you know, I'm going to do my best to make sure there's one in the freezer every year. That's for sure. Yeah, what a what well, a great move. So much fun. What was that? Oh, what a great move! Like um, from Washington, just moving where there's more opportunity, and not that there isn't some good hunting there in Washington that you can still find, but uh, it, it's land opportunity when you move here and get a chance, isn't it? Like after elk and just all the opportunities we get every season. Yeah, it's it's incredible. Um, but like I tell anyone wanting to move here you know there's wolves and grizzly bears behind every tree and it's 150 degree temperature swing from august to february so be prepared for that (laughs) yeah it definitely isn't easy and there's a lot of guys that are trying to live the dream right and so you know you move to montana for more opportunity and um you know there is good opportunity in these western states but you still have to work really hard at it and montana there's so many guys going hard now during bow seasons and during rifle seasons um, that that you you really have to put in the necessary work on your skill sets, even just to give yourself a, a chance at success. And it's real easy to go throughout a season and not harvest an animal or not harvest an elk, you know, opposite of what you did this season. But uh, that is easy to do because it, it does get uh you know hit with hunting pressure and with long seasons and a lot of opportunity in montana what happens with a lot of our game is is they get six weeks a bow five weeks a rifle that a lot of these game animals refuge on private land and it's good we have this private land as a refuge but uh everybody going so hard on the public it runs a lot of these animals onto the private where they they refuge which can be frustrating for a hunter to have an elk tag or have a deer tag or antelope and then see all this game on private ground and nothing on public because it kind of gets run off with all the hunting pressure. So uh, even though Montana is a great state with a lot of opportunity, like a a lot of these Western states, man, you still got to work really hard at it. You got to separate yourself from the competition and there's opportunity out there. um, But it's, it's also, it's like working really hard at it. It's putting all this time and effort into it, but it's also, uh, it's like timing too. And if you miss your timing on a species, you might eat that tag. So for instance, like elk season, bow season for, for instance, like you, like you go out bow elk and you know, it may be really good. Like the first week pre rut, second week is good. And you've got this great spot. And then you go up there third or fourth week and it can be crickets and these elk can move down and, uh, start refuging off this private coming down to alfalfa fields or something like that. So, you know, and that, and that goes on with every species during every different season that a lot of hunting success comes down to timing as well, just like your antelope tag. Like uh, you made good on opening day, I presume, um, but those antelope, they get chased off that public land pretty quick during rifle seasons, during antelope, and it can get a lot tougher the later you go in the season. So a lot of it's like capitalizing on timing too. Yeah, no, you're totally right. I was uh, debating going uh, second weekend just to let some of the Orange Army, you know, dissipate. 
And then I was just realized, you know, I need to go out and I need to be aggressive and get this thing done, you know, opening day or second day, because just like you said, these antelope are going to be pushed all over and they're going to find these private, you know, reserves or whatever you want to call them refuges. Um, and they're not going to leave. Um, so I, it was, it was crucial to get out there and get it done while I had the opportunity, while they were still running around on public. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Yeah, no worries. Um, man, and you sound, uh, sounds like you were a gunsmith back in Washington. Um, so I presume you really put in a lot of work with your rifle as those antelope are small targets. And, um, you know, you were successful on multiple different hunts this year. I'm sure you work on your um, shooting skill set a bunch to make sure that you're um, uh, really good behind the rifle, huh? Yeah, a lot of time dry firing, uh, practice building shooting positions all the time. Um, you know, obviously knowing your dope and whatnot. Um, it goes a long ways. I see a lot of people, they go and they can't find an animal on a scope, don't know how to build a sh solid shooting rest. Um, and that really, you know, it bites them when you only have, you know, a small window of opportunity to get it done. Um, you know, and when you practice these things, it's it's just second nature. You lay down the rifle, lay down your pack get behind it, get square behind it, you know, take a couple breaths, get your heart rate, you know, leveled out, level your bubble, dial your dope, and, you know, you squeeze the trigger and animals fall. The rifle I've been hunting with, it's a it's a 264 wind mag that I custom built with a proof barrel. I've been shooting it a lot, and uh, the rifle just doesn't miss. Um, I'm seven for seven on animals with it, and the only animal I've had to put a second bullet in was my elk. Um and that was, uh, it, it didn't need it, but they're still kicking and I can get a second shot and something. I'm going to do another one, you know? Oh, especially on elk. Yeah. You keep shooting until yeah. they're down. It's like, yep. <laughs> uh, uh, put more in them. I'm the same way with arrows. If they're going to stop and give me a second chance, I'm going to put another one in them. But yeah, man, that's great shooting. And, um, not only is it your time in the off season behind the rifle, getting comfortable shot acquisition, like you're talking about, um, uh, dry fire practice. Oh, and dry fire practice. Like, um, that was a big part of my success. And like my girls is like really getting them into shooting positions and, uh, practicing their dry fire, like you're saying. And then Roger gave me a tip the other day. So I just had Roger on the podcast. He's a great rifleman. And, uh, you know, he's talking about dry fire. And after we got done with the conversation, he sent me over, like he gets these sheets of paper that then have like an elk target at all different sizes. And so it's like supposed to, you're supposed to get like 10 yards away from it or however far the distance is. And then it's got different size targets. So the different size targets correspond to what they'd look like in your scope out at range. And so they've got a target that's like equal to 300 yard shot, a target that's equal to a 500 yard shot, a target that's equal to a thousand yard shot. And so he's got this like poster, this sheet of paper that he hangs up and then gets in his shooting positions and then dry fires at these different size animals. Uh, I just thought that was like a, a really good tip for dry fire practice to get in a, a bunch of practice and then also live fire practice. And, and even though you can put in all this practice and it's really easy to lose it when you get a shot at an animal, you know, I find the same thing with shooting a bow, shooting a rifle, like, uh, a lot of guys will 
get excited and they forget everything that they've practiced or learned and maybe they have those good instincts as shot acquisition or getting their rifle on an animal or getting a decent rest but they just don't go through the process of executing a quality shot so they they find the crosshairs find the middle of the body of that deer that antelope or that elk or whatever it is and they jerk the trigger which is like the most inaccurate way to shoot it's like choosing this now you know when the crosshairs like come across the body or or in the right spot to where you know the right execution is to let those crosshairs float and then squeeze on it until the shot breaks but that's really tough to do under pressure uh like like how have you mastered that from being able to take your range practice to shooting at animals in the field well i used uh a few years ago i i uh did a lot of prs shooting so that was you know, that was amazing. I mean, that taught me so much, you know, we're shooting off platforms that are, you know, secured with ropes and swinging around and, you know, shooting off awkward barricades and under a timer running around between stages. Um, I mean, that was, it was amazing how much better of a shot that those competitions made me. I haven't done them for quite some time. Um, but you know, the, the lessons I learned from them have just carried over. Um, also getting out and just shooting, like you said, you know, go, go put some coyotes in front of you, you know, call some coyotes in and, you know, that's about the only animal that I seem to miss anymore is, you know, dogs are on it running in. Um, I haven't been wolf hunting yet, but I'm sure I'll have the same, same problem with those things. Um, but you just got to get out there and shoot, you know, and practice in conditions. A lot of people won't go to the range if it's windy. Well, that's, that's when you want to go to the range. It's when you want to, you know, learn learn what your bullets doing when the wind's blowing 20 miles an hour sideways. Um, got to get out there and shoot those conditions. You know, you just, I, there wasn't one day that I was hunting this year where it was flat and calm. You know, there was always a little bit of wind on my shots. Um, so if you're, if you're skipping that, you're missing out on a lot, a lot of good training. Uh, makes sense. Yeah, it's um, same thing. I live in Ennis, Montana, where the wind blows all the time. So I get good at knowing how the wind affects my arrows. And, you know, in turn, that comes in uh, a clutch or key, like when I'm hunting out west because the wind's always blowing, you know. And so it is shooting during a bunch of different conditions. And I'll add, too, that it's, it's um, you know, going to the range is great, but it's not always shooting off a bench or off this seated position that you need to practice like all these shooting positions you're going to be in a, in the in the field and i noticed that um you know guys get lost when all of a sudden you're in uneven terrain and then you have to set up a shooting position whether it's prone or sitting with your your pack as your rest and getting your your elbow to your knee and like getting in these shooting positions it it takes work and takes practice and so when you're at the range you have to practice these real life shooting positions like at, at least my steps when when I was shooting a rifle would be like to get my rifle absolutely doped where I trust it. And so that would be off bench rest, rest accuracy and making sure I'm shooting the groups. It's making sure my ammo's getting along with the rifle, making sure everything is good. And then after I would get my rifle all doped, that's where I would really go to shooting different uh, shooting positions and getting in those in the field and it and then it just makes it easier to set up for a shot when you're in the field it's like second nature so yeah man I think that's great and I also think um, what you added about shooting these competitions I think um, high pressure shooting 
like that um that skill set transposes into shooting at animals and so when you practice shooting under the these high stress conditions high pressure you want to do really good people are watching uh, same thing with archery like it's tough to shoot in front of people tough to shoot at competitions and things and it puts this pressure on you this this almost like this adrenaline rush where then you have this choice to execute correctly or you try to uh, force it in and make it go now as the as the crosshairs get over as the pin finds the target and it's just not an accurate way to shoot and you learn real quick that when you try to shoot that way under high pressure things go wrong and go extremely wrong you know so you're able to learn these lessons under these stressful situations instead of learning them on critters and then all of a sudden you can transpose you know that skill set to shooting at critters so i think that's um uh, highly important as well like you mentioned yeah, you know, if you're going to the range on a perfectly calm day and you're throwing your rifle in a lead sled and, you know, all, all the conditions are perfect, you're not you're not getting the most out of your training at all. Um, need to be out there, you know, get, get a good zero on your rifle, obviously, but, you know, the next time you go to the range, run out to the 100-yard board and hang your target and then run back, then take a shot, you know, try and calm your breathing down, take those breaths and steady your reticle, practice that, you know, there's there's more to just, you know, squeezing the trigger perfect every time you go to the range. If you're, if that's all you're doing, you're, you're missing out on a lot of good training. Man, that's exactly right. Yeah. Just being, being prepared for the conditions. Well, and paid off big for you this year. Like, would you say seven out of seven with that rifle, man? That's great. Yeah. Shooting. Knock on wood, seven for seven. Yeah. That's great shooting, man. <laughs> um, and put a couple into the elk. Those elk are tough. They'll soak up bullets, won't they? Oh yeah. Yeah. Like I said, this was my first elk, but, uh, yeah, I made a good shot on him and he flipped over and started kicking and I wasn't going to let him get up and try and get away. So through another one, unfortunately my second shot, uh, we lost a little bit of backstrap on that one, but, uh, he was down. <laughs> yeah. Well, you got to make sure they stay down. Yeah. Elk are tough critters. I've seen them get up from shots too. And so, yeah, yeah. keep, keep shooting until they're down for sure. Um, yeah, and elk can um, elk's a higher degree of difficulty. It seems like antelope's like good uh, entry level western hunting game, and like a lot of the challenges are like uh, with the hunting pressure. And not that antelope hunting is by any stretch of the imagination easy, but it's definitely like a, 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 a lower degree of difficulty than say a public land bull is. Like, man, you got to work for those things. You got to grind, and you got to want them and put in a bunch of elevation and a bunch of miles, and then you can still have it not come together. But um, elk are tough. There's a lot of guys that are gunning for them during rifle season. Yeah, it was uh, it was a great hunt this year. Um, but like you said, you know, I showed up first day to this spot I'd scouted, and I'm always to the trailhead like two, three hours early. You know, I'm usually the first person there. And I uh, show up, and there's like two horse trailers and like six vehicles. <laughs> Um, and there's already guys, you know, I can see headlines walking in and I'm officially the last person to the trailhead that morning, <laughs> at least it seemed like, um, so that was kind of a punch in the gut, but you know, I just stuck to my plan, you know, threw the headlamp and the pack on and started walking. And, you know, I took this trail in about a mile and a half and then I shot off it and, you know, dropped down through this Creek drainage, then up onto this hill, onto this master vantage point, sat there. And uh, sun comes up and, you know, I immediately glass two bulls up 
that are about a mile away. But I, I don't know if you remember uh, how bad the weather was opening day at Rifle, but uh, it was it, it had to have rained, you know, a couple inches that day. It was it was gnarly conditions. Um, but anyways, I spotted these bulls. What was it? Freezing rain or did it rain before it, it was, day this year? It was it was snow and rain and fog and it was it was miserable. <laughs> But uh, it, I think it kept a lot of people down on the roads, which was good. Um, but, yeah, I spotted these bulls, and they were, of course, you know, like a mile away. A couple scree fields and a couple canyons between us and um, devised a plan to go after them. And I, in hindsight, I probably shouldn't have because I was, I was walking up to this master vantage point. I got hit in the face with just elk smell twice, and I'm sure there was elk right around me. Um, but of course, you know, the bulls I could see a mile away seemed better than, um, sitting there and being patient at the time. <laughs> so I, uh, <clears throat> sorry, I got a little sore throat and a cough our family's been having, but, uh, oh, so no I, worries. I, I, that stuff's going around. <laughs> oh, it's the season, man. Mm-hmm. Um, so I take off after those and get up there and I ended up losing them in the fog and, you know, I kind of lost their tracks. And by the time I got up there, I mean, my gear was just soaked through. I don't have rain gear and the gear I had, it, it it's water resistant for about five minutes. So I was soaked and it was freezing. I had to get up there and I finally got a fire started, sat there and warmed up and glassed. And, you know, the weather pushed me off the mountain, um, got back down to the truck and ended up uh, talking to a game warden down there. He was making the loop and, he was just like, man, it looks like you've been through the ringer today. <laughs> <laughs> you know, my gators are like halfway falling down. I got just gear just everywhere. I'm just drenched. He, he wanted to talk, and I'm like, you need to hold on a second. Let me start my truck up and get my heater going, and then we can talk. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so, yeah, the first day it was good. You know, I saw elk, and they were where I expected them to be. You know, after the ruts over, these bulls were just way up high, you know, eight, 9,000 feet in elevation. Um, never did see a cow on this hunt. These bulls were just solo off by themselves. Um, and it was, it was, it was good. You know, I think I learned that from you um, talking about these bulls, you know, they, they go off on their own just to kind of recover um, after the rut, put some weight on and then they, they kind of herd back up after they do that. Um, and that's what I was finding. So the first day was a bust. Second day, I went back up. Um, I went over to another spot kind of closer to where I'd seen those bull elk, another trailhead, and went up and <clears throat> got up there and to a different master vantage point. And I told myself, I'm like, man, I just got to sit here all day. I'm like, quit don't don't let your ADD get in the way just sit here in glass um and that didn't work about two hours later I find myself freaking post holing you know through thigh deep snow and I'm just like what are you doing I'm just you know I knew I was making a bad decision and you know it was just like a second wasted day it felt like um, it wasn't wasted because I did learn a lot of new country and I, I found tracks where these bulls were basically working up from the creek, creek bottom up to the top of the ridges and bedding. So it was, you know, the, the puzzle was coming together in my mind of what these elk were doing. Um, but it was, like I said, it was just a wasted day. Snow was crunchy. 
I was just, I was tramping through the woods and I wasn't going to kill anything. Um, so that was kind of a bummer. I had to readjust and tell myself to quit being stupid and, you know, do what I know I need to do instead of what feels good at the time. Um, so that was the end of that weekend. And of course, on the way home, I, I broke a CV axle in my truck. So yeah. there I am, you know, that week playing mechanic and I am, I'm not a mechanic, but I needed to get it done so I could get it back out there next weekend. Got it fixed. Went out there the next weekend and <clears throat> got up to that same master vantage point that I found on the second day, which ended up being like, it's just an incredible vantage point. I'm lucky I found it. It's cool. You can, from the top of it, you can bounce about a hundred yards in either direction and pick up a couple different vantage points. And it's, it's incredible. And I, I was doing that the third day and I find elk again. I see some elk feeding out of this bottom right directly below me. So I pull back over the ridge, slide my backpack up on the hill, get my rifle ready come back over and I start looking through the elk and all of them were spikes. There was four spike bulls in the group, not a legal one in it, <laughs> which was pretty disheartening, but they were doing exactly what I thought the elk were doing. So it was just another puzzle piece in, in the game. You know, they were down in the creek bottoms and they were working their way up onto these high ridges. So that was good to know. Spent the rest of the day up there. Never did see another elk. Um, saw a nice, well, what I would imagine would be a nice white tail buck. It was, you know, 8,000 feet in elevation, a bunch of snow and it, it blew out of there. Wish I could have got a look at its horns. I'm sure it was a pretty decent white tail being up that high in that much snow. Um, but anyways, I got out of there that night late and, uh, back to the same trailhead the next morning, Sunday morning. It took off, you know, it's like a three mile hike in there to that vantage point, you know, throw the headlight in the pack on and get up there by first light, set up on the, the vantage point, busted out the spotting scope and just started glassing, started at the first spot, glassed for about 45 minutes, <clears throat> and then my ADD kicked in. So I, I busted over, you know, 100 yards to the next little vantage point where I could see into the next draw, did that for about 45 minutes. Then went back to the third spot, and I was almost about ready to start post holing again. I was, it was getting to me. I had to start walking or something, and I finally glass up this bull elk, and he's bedded, and he's alone. The wind's ripping about 20, 30 miles an hour. It's blowing right to left, right in between us. So I got a good wind, and. You know, I knew I, I really needed to make this stock count. I needed to, you know, get this tag punched and get home to my family. So, you know, I, I dropped back off the ridge behind me, knee deep snow, pulse tolling, um, where the bull couldn't see me. As soon as, uh, <clears throat> you know, I made it about 400 yards up that the backside of that hill um, to where I knew I was out of sight of that bull, poked back up. And then I had, it was basically two little, two little canyons in between us um, to where he couldn't see me. So I'm sneaking through there, just taking my time, man. I'm, I'm hunting this like I'm bow hunting. I'm going slow, you know, watching the wind. Um, and the first spot I sneak up to, 
I can't see him. I'm too high on the ridge. Um, he's down in this burn. I can't see him. So I had to slide back over this hill and it ended up being, it was like a combination like Screefield avalanche shoot. And dude, it was sketchy. Like it was, if, if I would have took a wrong step, I would have been at the bottom of the avalanche shoot. Um, so it was really important to uh, not die on that. So I took my time, um, you know, holding on to tree branches and stuff, just trying to scale around this little chute. Um, finally I do, and I sneak up and I come, there's a gap in the trees that I can shoot through and I locate him. He's 150 yards. And by the time I got over there, you know, I, I flushed some grouse on the way over through that avalanche field. Um, and I think that's what the, that bull heard. Um, and he, he's standing up kind of looking my direction at about 150 yards, but he's not going anywhere. So I get the rifle ready, range him, you know, build my shooting rest, which was just, you know, me sitting on my butt with my rifle on top of my backpack and, you know, knee up into the elbow. Um, and I had to sit there for, it seemed like, all day but it was it was probably 15 or 20 minutes and there's just this tree blocking his vitals <laughs> and he's just locked up and you know there was a small little window i could have i could have snuck the bullet by but the wind was just howling i mean 20 30 miles an hour easy so i knew there was going to be some wind drift even at 150 yards and i was like man i it's like if i pull this trigger i'm going to hit that tree i know it so i wait i do you know Patience kills the bulls. So I just wait and I wait and I wait. And finally he takes about a half step and I let him have it. I hammer him. Like I said, he starts flipping and kicking and I put another one in and he's dead. So that was the end of that. And then I walk over there and finally get my hands on my first elk and man, they're huge. I mean, I was where he was at. He was in, you know, a foot and a half of snow and I could not move him. I tried as hard as I could to kind of try to get him in a better area. And I'm like, well, I guess we are quartering and processing right here. And that's what I did. You know, I did the gutless method, got them all broke down, which took a couple hours. That's not a small task, uh, especially by yourself when you're fighting legs and heads and dead weight. But we got it done. And then, you know, the I wanted to. I wasn't going to be able to get the whole bull out that night. So I shuttled all the meat in the head. I got it down into the creek drainage a couple hundred yards below. And there wasn't a good tree to hang any of the meat in. Um, but I did find a tree that was had fallen and landed on some other trees. So it was like a 45 degree angle directly out of the hillside. So I, I wish I would have had this on videotape was me, you know, <laughs> hanging all this meat in this tree and trying to get this head up as far as I could. And all these quarters pushed up and kind of barricading the meat in there. So it was good for the night. It was hilarious. There were some falls in there for sure. Um, but, you know, finally got it all hung up and take, taken care of. And I left a jacket and did all the stuff you're supposed to, to try and keep animals off of it. And I ended up taking, a, uh, I think the court, uh, hind quarter and the back straps out that night. Um, and then I called in one of my good buddies down here and he, uh, he had work off the next day, thankfully. So he was able to come help me get the rest of that bowl out, which was awesome. I, you know, doing this, I learned that and pack a whole elk out 
by myself, obviously not in one trip, but it's doable for me. Um, but man, what I was lucky to have him come and help me. That saved a ton of time and, you know, a lot of sore backs and muscles. Oh man. Good friends. When you get elk down or, uh, priceless, you know, and so oh, man, he calls I haul now that's for sure. Yeah, no, and you just, um, like, what I try to do is just try to be, like, a really good friend to, to my buddies as well. So if they get knelt down, I make sure to drop everything to go give them a hand and give them help out, help pack the animal, because it is um, such a relief when you get a bull down where you have some help to get it out. And, yeah, you're right. Like, man, it is it is toughness with bull elk. Those things are such big animals, and you have such a responsibility to get them out of the mountains, but they're not like a mule deer, man. I'm, they're not like an antelope. They, uh, they're a giant. It's like trying to pack a horse out of the mountains, you know? And so yeah. Yeah, when you're by yourself, I mean, even if you kill a bull five miles back, you think of four trips back and forth and back and forth. Even a bull that's five miles back is going to take you 40 miles to pack out once you start figuring five miles out, five miles back in, five miles out, five miles back in. Like, man, it adds up quick. And then with the added degree of difficulty of the snow and then even the butchering process, man, it's like like you said, by yourself – uh, wrestling around one of those elk, getting the quarters skinned and, and, and off. And I use the gutless method as well, but getting all that meat off, man, it is a workout, especially by yourself. And I know, you know, like you weren't battling the heat or losing meat that way. Uh, you know, where a lot of times in the bow season, man, I, I am, uh, uh, the clock is ticking. You have about, uh, five to six hours to cool that meat down to 55 degrees and man you just work your butt off trying to get it to shade or down into a creek bottom get it hung up get the the air around it get that thing cooling down and then um yeah just some 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 brutally heavy packouts. i know some of the toughest elk i've killed have been solo elk that i've had you know solo killed solo process and solo packed out of the mountains you know and uh, man, by the end of it, it, it takes about everything out of me, you know, those, those things are so giant, but, you know, killing, killing bull elk, killing anything for that matter out West, it's, it's constant effort. Like, um, you know, what you did right is constant effort, like leaving those trailheads in the dark, making those master vantage points and master vantage points are so key out west just because you can cover so much terrain see so many different elk features at one time to pick up those elk so you'd picked up the spikes you'd picked up that bowl uh you'd picked up a couple bowls opening day like those master vantage points were key for you where uh tromping around the mountains uh you know post holing through the snow like you kind of learn what elk are doing and sure you could run into one that way it is kind of a mobile vantage point as you're glassing all available openings as you're moving through but you really find that the most efficient way to to hunt these critters is to find these vantage points and then to glass over them until you can turn up some elk but it it's constant effort like you could have taken the easy way a bunch of times like that day where you got soaking wet it would have been real easy to sit down in the truck and kind of glass from the truck and kind of half-heartedly hunt elk you know and it it just seems like no matter if i'm bow hunting if i'm rifle hunting whatever it is like 
like just constant effort, constantly theorizing, believing that I'm going to find elk, and then putting in the effort to make these master vantage points. You said it was a three-mile hike into your vantage point, getting there at the right time. Like all these little things that you're doing are the reason why you created this opportunity, you know? And so uh, it is just getting your head right every day, every weekend, every opportunity that you have available to hunt, and then just putting forth maximum effort. And it didn't pay off, you know, for a couple days for you, like where you did sit the master vantage point. You didn't see elk for a couple hours, and you knew that was the right move. But, you know, it seemed like you weren't going to see anything, and then you started – uh, hiking through country to to turn up new terrain, maybe bump into an elk. But what you kept doing is you kept giving yourself a chance. Like you kept putting forth effort into trying to kill this bull elk. And it it's so key, like, uh, you know, there's all these different tangents that come together to kill a bull elk. You know, it's, it's the combination of that effort. It's the combination of uh, your hunting skill and, like you've said a couple times, like another piece to the puzzle. Like it is, like there is this, this hunting strategy that plays a part into it of figuring out these animals and where they like and their routines and where they're moving to. And the whole time you were hunting elk, you were trying to theorize and put these pieces to the puzzle together, like you said. And, and and through that, you started to figure out what these elk were doing, and then you're you're putting your effort in the right places towards this master game game plan or towards this this uh, uh, this puzzle that you're trying to piece together to kill a bull. And so you know it's it's these tangents that you put together of constant effort, these tangents that you put together uh, of of your e scouting or your hunting skill set or finding these master vantage points. Uh, but it's a beautiful thing when it comes all together. And dude, killing your first bull is such an achievement, man. It it just um it takes so much time and effort and dedication to the craft that big you know public land bulls just don't come easy, you know. But you put in the time and put in the effort and put it all together for a bull elk. So now now it's about uh, repeating that that uh, process into next year, you know, uh, uh, of taking the things that you've learned and applying it to next season to hopefully come out on top again. Uh, but it's a beautiful journey, isn't it? Oh, it's so beautiful. Um, and you know, that's what I love about hunting so much is, you know, the effort and success are directly related. Um, you know, it's, it sounds stupid, but the harder you work, the more successful you're going to be, you know? <laughs> um, so it it's, and you know, I don't, like hunting is physically hard, but it's, it's easy at the same time. You know, if you follow a couple simple rules, be up on your master vantage point by the time the sun comes up, you know, hunt all day, you know, you do these small couple things and you're going to be successful. You know, you gotta, you gotta wear your glass out, you know, wear your boots out, you know, just, just be there, put in the effort. You know, when you do get a stock, make sure you make that stock count. You know, if you do this, you're going to be successful year after year. And I think I think a lot of people just miss that. You know, they're, you know, maybe missing these one or two small little pieces of the puzzle. Um, at least I was for a long time. And I feel like this year they just really clicked. And obviously stuff hit the ground. You're right. It is like it's all these um, 
these small moves or these small things you do, and we all know the right moves to make. Like you say, being on the master vantage point before light, we we know to put in effort to hike back into these back basins to look for these elk. We know, you know, like all these these little steps that um, uh, that we all know, but it's tough to practice each and every one every time you're out, and it's easy to get beat down or it's easy to let your mind. Uh, take control or like uh, take the easy way, you know, and so all of a sudden you have these plans for season, how you're going to do all these little uh, these these little things that are going to come together killing an elk. So you wake up the first couple days and you hunt all day and you find master vantage points and you put in effort, but you start to get worn down. And so all of a sudden day three, you say, well, I'm just going to go into this this little spot, this closer vantage point, or you know, I'm going to cruise some roads today and glass from afar, and and so you just start, you know, without without making these these conscious decisions, you start making you know easier decisions and stop putting the effort in, or you know, you you're worried about grizzly bears, and so you start hiking at daylight, and you make it to the master vantage point two hours after light, and I'll tell you, like um. Uh, finding elk or finding any animals is being at the right place at the right time. And so you can go find the best elk vantage point, and there can be elk all around you. But if you get there an hour late, you don't see an elk, and all of a sudden you don't feel like there's an elk in the country. And now you put in this effort to make it back to the master vantage, but you weren't there at the right time. And so you missed one of the crucial steps. Now all of a sudden you've got elk around you, maybe bulls that were feeding out that morning, but you weren't there to catch them because you weren't hiking two hours before daylight. Or, you know, in the evening, like you get worn out for the day and, and those elk, they come out, you know, especially during this rifle season, man, they tighten up their programs and they're, you know, they are beat up from the rut and they, they hide in these holes where they're not getting picked out by hunters. And so they may come out the last five minutes, the last 10 minutes of light. That may be the only chance you have to catch these bulls. But, you know, you're so worn out from the day, and maybe you made the va master vantage point early first light. You've been hunting all day, and all of a sudden you just start thinking, well, there's grizzly bears in this country. I haven't seen anything all day. Like, I I'm just going to start hiking out. You know, there's only a half an hour left of light. I'm going to start hiking while I got some daylight so I'm not hiking all the way in the dark. And so you leave this master vantage, and here this giant six-point comes out, and you're not there to catch it. And so... It's so much self-discipline during hunting season to make yourself do all these little moves. And I know, you know, during my seasons when I'm hunting hard, uh, I try to make sure that I'm doing all these little moves that we all know. Uh, but to keep putting forth this effort day in, day out, and it doesn't matter if I've gone 10 days and haven't ran into a bull elk. The 11th day, I'm going to be up two hours before light. I'm going to hunt hard all day long. Uh, and also, like... um. You know, I think like you talked about the struggle of staying on a master vantage, dude, it is so tough to sit on a vantage point all day long. But you know it's the right move. You know you can see more country doing that than you can hiking around. And there is a time and a place to go hike a ridgeline and glass different country and look at a new canyon. Like a lot of times that can be the tough move you have to make. But sitting on a vantage point, especially like late season elk, it's like, man, you build yourself a fire and you sit there for as long as you can take. Or you do a whole morning session, four to six hours, and then maybe you have a plan for afternoon to sit another vantage point. You build a fire, you make yourself comfortable, you keep looking through your glass until you can turn up an elk or turn up a bull um but it it, it it isn't i think the reason why 
people don't do these is it's it's not easy to keep disciplined. It's not easy to keep the belief that you're going to find them. It's it's just it, it it's not easy to continue to put forth this next level effort, especially when you're not turning up elk. And it's like your mind can just play these tricks on you so much where it's like, I'm not really going to see an elk today. I'm not going back up to that master vantage. I was there yesterday. I didn't see anything. Like, And so all of a sudden you just start taking the easy way. Like the brain wants you to take this easy way. And I I don't know why that is, but it is like human nature. And you have to fight that, that urge, it seems, constantly throughout season. Do you find yourself in that same struggle where you're, you're fighting what you believe is the right move to make and what you should be doing versus like what your mind is telling you or the tricks that your mind's playing on you? Oh, absolutely. I mean, anytime you get that much alone time in your head, you're going to start, you know, second guessing yourself, um, you know, and coming up with different plays and what you think you should be doing. You know, time time in your head is not good <laughs> necessarily all the time. Um, but, you know, I think one of my the reasons I was successful this year is because I chose to go solo. You know, I didn't have that other person with me necessarily who was you know, say, oh, let's not go there today. You know, we didn't see any elk there yesterday. Let's, let's try this new area. You know, let's, let's get up and walk around. Ah, you know, it's, you know, we don't need to be up there at first light. You know, let's, you know, I'm kind of cold. Let's, let's go home. Let's, let's go get a cheeseburger and a beer. You know, that sounds pretty good. I didn't have that. I had, you know, I, I set goals out this year and wrote them down. I looked at them every day before I went out hunting and every day before I left, I had it in my head. You know, it's, I don't want to sound cocky, but I was, I had it in my head that I'm killing something today. I'm not coming off this mountain until I kill something. And I didn't have that other person there with me, you know, trying to convince me otherwise. Um, so I just, I knew I was going to succeed. Um, and I just, I wasn't going to come off the mountain until I did. And thankfully, you know, I got it done early every time. Um, and I didn't, I didn't have to push myself to that day 10 where I'm really digging deep to, you know, get up early and get those miles in to get up to that vantage point before light so I can see these elk. Um, but yeah, it was the going solo for me this year, you know, somewhat out of necessity with my schedule and friends of schedules not lining up, but I really wanted to take on the challenge. And, you know, if, if I failed, it was completely on me and I, you know, I didn't have an excuse for someone else. Um, you know, and it was, man, I grew so much this year as a hunter. It was, it was the best thing I've ever done was to choose to go solo. Um, and I'm pretty well addicted to it now. I, I don't see myself finding a hunting partner until my son's old enough to go unless, you know, unless I find someone who's training harder than me, thinking about hunting more than me every day, shooting their bow and rifle more than me every day. It's, it's gonna, it's gonna be hard to, you know, drag someone up the hill. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. I like, uh, what you said, like about, uh, you know, belief in oneself, like, uh, uh, it's a thin line between confidence and arrogance, you know, and you want to ride the line on the side of confidence, you know, not on the side of arrogance where you have these false beliefs, but you do, you have to constantly tell yourself like, man, I am going to catch up to a bowl. I am going to get my chance. I am going to get my opportunity. And, um, yeah, I also like, like the solo aspect, all of a sudden you don't have to make decisions by for two people. You don't have to run a strategy by a person. And, and you know, it's a, a double-edged sword as well. Like, um, you know, uh, uh, finding a good hunting partner, you know, it can be a hindrance or it can be an asset, you know. Like a lot of times, you know, the the – 
the 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 backcountry hardened guys that I hunt with, you know, constantly have this good attitude and this push. And like in the military, they have a saying that two is one, one is none. Basically, like uh, it's for a sniper team of two guys equals one team, you know, or one mission or one goal. And I find like the guys that I hunt with are tough and make good decisions and are smart hunters where, you know, we can actually push harder as a team than we can solo, you know. But um, I, I think there's a, a necessity for both in in the hunting. I think you grow a lot by yourself being alone with your own thoughts, not, you know, and making your own decisions. All of a sudden, you don't have to run things by another guy. If you want to go to that next mountain, you go to that next mountain, and you're only held back by your own mind and your own training and your own ability. Um, you know, so like, uh, uh, you know, that's the same way as me. It's like guys' schedules just didn't line up with my schedule. I didn't have the right hunting partners. And, you know, I had these huge goals and these huge ambitions where for a lot of years, that was all I did was hunt solo. But then I came across, you know, guys with this this uh, same credence or the same uh, uh, work ethic, the same love for the mountains, the same love for adventure and able to team up with those guys. And then when you get those guys, they're pulling for your success as much as they're pulling for their own and they're good hunting partners and good team members. You know, it's like uh, uh, then you can get a, a lot out of having a hunting partner, you know, and and um, uh, so so I think there's I think there is like a like a need for both. And I still find myself every season I hunt a lot by myself and I get a lot out of that you know i also like to mix and match hunting with some good hunting buddies and um you know and i enjoy my time out with those guys too uh so i think it is a mix and match but i love what you said solo like you do uh, a lot of personal growth it's it's tougher to motivate yourself by yourself nobody's holding you accountable for your decisions other than yourself and so you know, in a lot of aspects, it can be tougher that way to keep yourself motivated and keep going and keep putting forth the effort. And, you know, you're in grizzly bear terrain as well uh, by yourself. So, you know, your head can play tricks on you in in, in that way, too. So, man, it, it just takes a lot of drive and fortitude, you know, and that's whether you're with a buddy or, you know, by yourself. But, um, yeah, just to keep yourself going and keep putting forth that effort. But it sounds like you have your head in the right space and and know where you want to go in the future and know what your goals are and uh, uh, you're accomplishing them at least this season, man. It's a heck of a season. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, that uh, the con- confidence that I gained from hunting solo this year, man, That's it's going to be dangerous. Um, I can already see it. <laughs> Because uh, when I was up there, you know, sitting on this master vantage point, I'm just like, what's over the next ridge? You know, and I I, was, I had to basically hold myself back from going over there. I'm like, dude, you know, if I shoot a bull back there, I'm, I'm six miles back now and I'm on the wrong, you know, wrong slope. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's my goal next year. I, I want to get out and do some more hunting with buddies. And, you know, now that I'm putting some time in with my, my job, you know, I'm going to have some time off. Um, some paid time off next year. So that's going to open up a lot of windows. And yeah, I want to get out there with some guys and push over that next ridge and, you know, go on these, you know, push further, see more and, you know, just get out there and get after it. Man. Well, you're well on your way. Um, Mitchell, uh, you believe we've uh, already talked for an hour, man. That went good. Yeah. Easy. (laughs) Easy. When it, when it comes down to, um, uh, passion and and uh, something we love like the conversation comes pretty easy but yeah man uh, heck of a season this year I really enjoyed the conversation getting you on the podcast yeah 
Yep. Yeah, it was great to be on here. Um, it's always awesome talking to like-minded people. And, uh, you know, I love listening to your podcast and learning all the stuff that you teach. You know, if if people aren't listening, you know, it's information danish. If people aren't listening to this stuff and getting the knowledge, man, you're missing out big time. There's so much to learn out there that's, you know, been on all these podcasts. And we just need to take advantage of it. You know, read some books on animal behavior and, you know, work hard, train, and get out there and, crush your goals man it's it's out there for all of us isn't it and there's so much good information out there and it can go in one ear and out the other but if you really take it to heart from these guys that are successful you know like the season you had last year or you know like the other guests i have on or even me personally like i really try to share the information that helps make me successful so you know guys can implement it in their own game so you know i believe we're in the good old days like the information age i think there's good hunting and good opportunity out there you just have to take this information and really try to learn and try to grow as a hunter and then you know try to apply some of the strategies and tactics you hear in the 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 successful guys you listen to or read about whatever the case is and then try to implement that in your hunting but it you can grow exponentially can't you you can grow so fast in today's day and age by applying this information oh absolutely um you know i i don't mean to keep you or anything but you know i i didn't grow up in a hunting family i started hunting when i was 16 i had to drive myself to hunter's education um you know, and it was, it was purely self-motivated to get into it. You know, I had a couple friends that were hunting and taught me a little bit, but, you know, 90% of the stuff I've learned has been, you know, through just trying and failing um, and then, you know, reading and listening to podcasts and, you know, listening to people who are actually out there killing. Um, and it's, you know, I've last 15 years or however long it's been, I've, I've grown so much and learned so much. I I'm actually kind of considering myself a decent hunter now, <laughs> which the last 13 years haven't been, you know, it's just been trial and error. And, you know, I've killed a couple of nice bucks here and there, but um, yeah, it's just been getting out there doing it and failing and doing it again. Yeah. It's, it doesn't come easy, does it? It's like, no. uh, you know, you're into a 13 year journey or whatever the case is. Like it doesn't come in one day, one week, one month, one year. Like this is a journey that takes a lifetime to master, you know, and I, I, you know, I still haven't mastered. I'm still improving at my game and getting better. All that, like I'm a student of the game the same way as I'm trying to implement, uh, more things into, into, into my hunt. And sometimes it's, um, like, uh, uh, you really have to apply the things you've learned. Like it does no good to listen to every podcast or listen to all the information out there and then not apply it to your own hunting or not to get out there and use the, your own information. And a lot of times I find that, that things that I hear, things that I learn, uh, you, they don't come into play until I'm out there. And, and so I'll be out there elk hunting and I'll have a scenario go down and I'll go like, oh, that was that was kind of like that scenario that uh, uh, Travis described to me or whatever. Like you, it almost comes to light to you like after you've heard it and then you're out there and you have to put it into your own hunting, like figure out how you can use this information and apply it to your own hunting strategy. Like, like, like you've done, you know, and experience is the best teacher, but to go into this experience, go into this hunt 
with like a being in the right headspace or knowing what to expect or knowing what the right moves are. It's like, well, I know that I've heard that master vantage points in Montana, like you come from Washington and actually you come from the eastern side of the state where you probably do a lot more glassing. But it's like knowing yeah. that glassing and master vantage points are the right move and having that inside your head. Now you can go out in the field and you can apply that and find these master vantage points like that one stellar one that you talked about that you'll use again, that you can move 100 yards and see a different drain and 100 yards and see a different drainage like uh, uh that is you applying the knowledge that you've heard or the knowledge that you've soaked up you know through your own experience through listening to podcasts through reading and then you apply that to your hunting and live and die by that vantage point end up killing a bull so it really is like applying these strategies and and things that you hear from other successful hunters but you got to get out and go experience it yourself you got to get out and and put that effort in like that's how you achieve your goals yeah, absolutely. And I I knew when I found that vantage point, I hit gold um, and I'll be up there years to come. I'm sure um, I, I try not to hunt the same place year after year, uh, just because I love exploring the state so big. Um, I'd hate to just be stuck in a rut in one spot. Um, but do you, do you have time to get into my whitetail or do you got to go? No. Yeah, no worries. No, let's hear about your whitetail. <clears throat> yeah, dude. So uh, e-scouting, right? You know, did a ton of it everywhere I went this year besides where I went elk hunting was places I'd never been. So it was, I I'd planned to take five days off during, you know, that week before Thanksgiving, right. When the rut should be going good. Um, you know, I told my boss this about six months in advance and, Oh yeah, everything's good. Go ahead, go, go, go. And then work just piled up. And, you know, he's kind of asking guys to, you know, come into work and help them out and stuff. And, I just had to tell him, I'm like, Hey man, you know, I've been planning this for months and I'm going, but as soon as I kill something, I'll be back to help you. Um, so I, t I took off, um, headed out kind of towards your area a little bit, um, had some spots e-scouted and I was, I had my intention set on a mule deer. I wanted to kill a good mule deer and I was going to eat a tag if I didn't find one. Well, I go out and the first area I go out to, it was like negative 20 that day. It was nasty and I was just in the elk. There was, I could have, you know, filled four or five bull tags that day. And, you know, there was cows running everywhere. But the problem was, is I wasn't seeing any deer. I saw like two mule deer the whole time, does. And there was no tracks. There was nothing but elk there. So at about, I think it was like noon or one o'clock that day, I finally, I pulled the cord, dude. And I drove six hours in the opposite direction. <laughs> And showed up to another spot that I'd e-scouted, you know, there, I got 30, 40 pins set up for this spot. And as I'm driving, I'm going through them on my phone. Don't, don't let the cops know this, but I was, I was using my handheld device when I was driving, going through all these places, trying to, you know, put together a hunt for the morning. And finally I picked this spot and I'm like, all right, this is where I'm going. And I pulled up to the trailhead in the dark and it was cold, you know, and I, I have my little, 2000 watt Honda generator, or whatever, and a little electric heater. And I fire that thing up and sleep in the back of my truck that night and, you know, slept pretty good. The little electric heater kept up and kept me warm, caught up that morning and, uh, you know, got to my glass and knob, you know, 30 minutes before the sun came up and sat there and I'm just tearing it apart and there's tracks all over the place, but I just wasn't seeing any deer, wasn't seeing any deer 
kept glass and kept glass and tearing it apart. And uh, finally, I see this little spot, uh, section with, you know, just my naked eyes. And I'm like, man, that's that's where the deer are going to be. So I, I turned the spotting scope over there and instantly white tail doe and a white tail buck following him. And I'm like, oh, let's zoom the spotter in and check out this buck. You know, it's I wasn't didn't come here to kill a white tail, but let's look at this thing. And, you know, one his right side is just perfect. And off the back, he's got like a five inch cheater coming off the back and his left. He must have got dinged up in velvet or something because it grew funky. He's got I don't know. He's He's got the genetics for the five inch kicker coming off the back and comes up and just kind of goes into some trash right off the main base. I'm, I'm guessing he got it dinged up in velvet. But I see this buck and I'm like, man, I, I cannot pass on this thing. I have. I've always dreamed of, you know, having a, a crazy white tail like this up on my wall. And, you know, I'm not, I'm, I just couldn't pass him. I, I thought about it and I was, you know, I was like, uh, you know, the boss wants me back at work. I'd really like to, you know, help him out so he can get back to his kids for Thanksgiving and blah, blah. So I see him and I'm like, all right, well, I can kill him. He's, you know, down there about 1200 yards and, you know, there's a couple little ridges between us. Like, well, if I slide down this ridge, that'll get me to 600 yards. And then if I go up this ridge, I'll be three to 400 yards. So I slide down, climb back up, and this whitetail, he's just been locked on this doe the whole time. I don't know if this would have worked out if, you know, he wasn't infatuated by this doe, but he was just locked on her. And I get up there, relocate him again, find him, and he's 415 yards. All right. So I start building the shooting position and get my pack laid down the rifle on top of it, dial up my dope, you know, check the wind. And it's the same story as my elk. You know, this, this white tail was just locked up behind this tree that was just blocking his vitals. I could see his head and his butt like, man, and it's kind of a bummer because I had to sit there for like 20 minutes, but I think that's, it almost helps me out. You know, it's either you got to shoot right when you see him or you got to let that adrenaline come and pass. You know, and, and by the time he took a step out and I shot him, you know, I'd been working on my breathing, sitting there and calm my heart rate down. And, you know, by the time he stepped out, it was like shooting a paper target. And, you know, I squeezed the trigger, recoil came back down. I looked through the scope and, you know, he's dead. He's dead and the doe's just sitting there looking, you know, wondering what happened to her boyfriend. And, you know, same thing, got down there and took care of him and, got them all quartered up, but that pack out ended up being, you know, harder than my elk almost, I want to say, um, just because these hills I had to go up were so steep. It, it reminded me of chucker hunting in eastern Washington, you know, on the breaks of the Columbia and the Snake River, just super steep, loose rocks, you know, that like cheat grass kind of stuff, and then you throw on snow on top of it. It was dangerous. I actually, uh, you know, I had my spotting scope and rifle and I, I loaded up the whole deer and I was just going to one trip this thing out. And I got to the base of that hill, made it up a little ways. And I'm just like, man, I'm going to, I might be able to get up that hill in one trip, but if I fall, I'm, you know, I'm going to be at the bottom and I'm going to be in a world of hurt and I'm six hours from home and no one knows where I'm at. <laughs> so I thought better of it and dropped half the deer there and went up to the truck and there was actually a, a dude sitting there um kind of by my truck and I talked to him 
and he's like, oh, did you go down there this morning? Yeah, I went down there. See anything? Yeah, I'm packing a deer out. He's like, oh, man, I wish I would have got down there this morning. It was like, well, you would have had to been there a lot earlier earlier than me because I was sleeping there last night, you know, and you weren't going to beat me out to this vantage point. Um, but anyways, got down and got the second load out and, you know, got him out and it was, it was a grind getting that whitetail out. You know, my elk was mostly flatter downhill and this whitetail was, uh, there wasn't any flat about it. It was extremely vertical, I would say, <laughs> but you know, it was, a, it was a good trip and, you know, I don't want to make it sound like I wasn't happy with this whitetail, but it was, uh, it was almost kind of disappointing to pull the trigger on it because, you know, I had my goals set for a mule deer. And I had, you know, a specific size that I was kind of looking for, but it's that old saying, you know, why you can't pass up, you know, on, you know, something on opening day that you'd be happy with at the end of the season. And, you know, I'm, I'm tickled. I got this white tail now and it's a great buck. I, I scored his one side that wasn't damaged and, you know, he'd have been, I'm not a professional scorer, but, you know, right about 155, 160 inches. Um, which is a tremendous whitetail, especially, you know, public land. Um, he's a giant in my eyes. But now we got him out of the way, I can start focusing on mule deer again and get back into what I really want to hunt. Yeah, man. And there, there is always, um, it, it is like happy for the harvest, but there's always a little bit of sadness that it comes to an end as well. Like, you know, when you release that arrow or you fire that shot. But yeah, it sounds like one heck of a whitetail, man, to go anywhere near those type of scores is like a big, heavy, older, uh, mature age class. And I'm not much of a whitetail hunter either, but uh, I suspect that a, that a buck like that would catch an arrow from me as well. Like, um, yeah, it sounds, it was, like uh... a, sounds like a great whitetail buck. And yeah, um, way to earn them. And, you know, even though those deer aren't as heavy as elk, uh, they still, like, you can kill them farther back. But, um, yeah, they're grind as well. And uh, I usually one-trip out deer, you know, boned out and things. But, you know, sometimes it's the smarter decision to two-trip them, you know. And so I've often thought that, like, on some of these big, huge Alpen uh, adventures or whatever, when I get a deer down, is um, the smarter move is to make two trips safely rather than one trip unsafely. So, yeah, good move on your part there. And, yeah, just congratulations on a heck of a season, man. Uh, so now you'll be working hard to um, repeat that same success in 2023. But, yeah, thanks for coming on and sharing your story, man. I really appreciate yeah. it. Yeah, I appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, hopefully we can meet up here in person someday and, you know, shoot some bows or something. Absolutely. Where can guys follow your social media? Uh, my Instagram page is Roland underscore out and Roland's my last name, uh, R O L E N. Um, yeah, I'm on there a little bit. I got like 200 followers, I think my mom and sister and that's about it. So (laughs) (laughs) yeah, try not to spend too much time on there, but, uh, I do post some stuff occasionally. Good. Yeah, it uh, definitely a guy needs to keep himself in check in social media and then also, you know, uh, living life and enjoying the things around. But it is a uh, it, it is 
entertaining. There is a lot of quality things I do get from social media as well. Quality connections like just meeting you, for instance, like go through social media. And so like uh, there's a ton of positives. You just um, it's like anything in life. You don't want too much of a good thing. You know, you definitely got to keep it in check. But uh, man, I've really enjoyed uh, meeting you and having this conversation on the podcast. So yeah, give Mitchell a follow. Check out some of his critters he harvested this year. And uh, you're the man, Mitchell. Keep in touch. Hey, Brian. Appreciate it. Okay. We'll talk soon. Okay. All right. Later, bud. All right, guys. That's a wrap. Yeah, fun conversation with Mitchell. Uh, putting in the work to be successful. Um, so yeah, thanks to him for coming on the podcast. Thanks to you guys for listening in. Remember we have a huge giveaway on the podcast. We're giving away a bow. We're giving away items from all our sponsors. Um, it's free to enter. All you have to do is follow the Eastman's elevated page and listen to a podcast and you're entered to win. Uh, you follow the link in the bio at the Eastman's elevated page and get all entered there. But yeah, uh, tons of great gear. So uh, make sure to get entered in, follow us on Instagram, and um, yeah, make it a big push on there as well, as I know, uh, putting a bunch of content on that Eastman's Elevated page, so it should be a good follow on there. As far as the podcast, yeah, we're rolling here. We've got uh, the Expo coming up in February, really looking forward to some recordings there, and um, man, looking forward to getting into this house. <laughs> I'm, I'm so close. I think I'm 40, 50 days in a row of... Uh, 100 hour weeks or more it's like just every day pushing so hard um so i think appliances show up tomorrow and um i need to get another coat on the floor and just trying to wrap up this master tile shower so um yeah that's where i'm at just um really close to getting in this thing it's going to be super nice so i'll post some pictures on here uh, the new house and um, getting this thing and get my sanity back. <laughs> well, I mean, I've I've kept a little bit of my sanity, but um, yeah, get the entirety of it back and um, start getting focused on these 2023 hunts. I'm so stoked to get out and get to the mountains and uh, find some enjoyment. So I'm starting to um, slip in hunting mode where I start to uh, uh, think about future hunts and past hunts this season and things of that nature. So definitely brings me some peace when I'm working so many hours. Uh, but it's all good. Um, all good. Just getting ready here. So um, I'm going to get this thing wrapped up and finish strong and um, uh, continue to bring you guys the podcast, record some solo episodes, and we'll get working away on this thing. So thanks to all the sponsors for their support. I uh, want to thank Eberly Stock. want to thank our new sponsor on there, Mountain Tough. Make sure to go check those guys out. It's a CrossFit-style workout with minimal gear it's just great for cardio, great for building muscles. Uh, they've just tailored these workouts to for mountain fitness, for being more efficient and effective in the mountains. And I love how they talk about mental toughness and building mental resolve. It's that, and that's just going to go to help on these tough mountain hunts. And so uh, I'm going to try it out as well, so you guys can try it with me. They've got a couple different programs, but. It looks like it's about 30 bucks a month, or if you pay annually, it's 20 bucks a month, and uh, that gets you access to their library, a bunch of different workouts, and I just like it that I can do it with minimal weight. I don't need a gym membership or anything like that, and um, it just gives me... Um, it gives me some structure as well uh, to get in these 30, 45-minute workouts. So, yeah, I'm excited to try it, and, um, yeah, you guys can try it as well. Just check them out at Mountain Tough Fitness. Um, also want to thank... Uh, 
did I did I thank Everly Stock already? Gosh dang it, I'm losing my mind here. Uh, but yeah, I want to thank Everly Stock. They've been a huge sponsor of the podcast for so many years. So thanks to those guys for their continued support and packs. Uh, really appreciate it. And then also want to thank Black Ovis and Camo Fire. So, man, um, yeah, we've got uh, uh, that that giveaway. Mentioned that um, uh, Eastman's Tag Hub. Uh, we're also like we're giving away. They're doing a huge giveaway, and I know there's like if you sign up for Tag Hub, I think you can get a Mountain Tough Fitness membership, or we're doing a drawing for those. But I know we've got some memberships to give away there. But just check it out on the internet, uh, search Eastman's, and then Tag Hub, and that'll come up. We also have the Mule Deer School. It's a great time to to brush up on your mule deer hunting tactics and get ready for this next season. I know I'm um, getting excited for application season and try to do a couple more podcasts tailored towards getting some tags and making sure that we're hunting every year. So um, we'll put that out and, uh, yeah, get applying here, there, and everywhere. See this, um, see if I can't max out a credit card. <laughs> it's uh, 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 Have the credit card, the balance gets pretty big by the end of applying in all these states, but um, it's definitely worth it for these huge adventures and um and if I don't draw, the money gets put back in there. I just prefer that I draw every tag that I apply for and they take my money. That would be the best. But yeah, some great adventures coming up in 23. I'm super stoked. I know you guys are too. So I just want to bring you guys the absolute best pertinent um, information to Western hunting. Uh, so yeah, just going to be working really hard on the podcast, especially after I get in this house and things. So um, looking forward to it. It's going to be a great year. And uh, I want to I want to succeed and I want to see you guys succeed as well. So we'll continue bringing you guys good recordings. I'm going to get this podcast out and um, better get to work here and get something done right or wrong. So uh, thanks, you guys, for the support. I appreciate it. And with that, I'll check in with you guys next week. <laughs>